Gresham College presents Middle Class Recruits to Communism in the 1930s Introduction by Professor Nicholas Deacon of Birmingham University Thank you very much Roderick and welcome everyone here. It's good to see quite a few people here who were at the earlier sessions but for the benefit of those who weren't I'm just going to summarise very briefly the ground we covered in the first two sessions. In the first, I used the experience of a very small group selected through personal contacts to explain why and how they'd chosen to join the CPGB, or the party, as I shall call it from now on. I explained our working assumptions in undertaking the whole exercise, that one could be dispassionate because the party was long defunct, since 1991 in fact, that the USSR was similarly defunct, and I said last year, the Cold War is over. I'm not quite sure I'm so confident about that. <laughs> I explained too that we were not expecting to look through the distorted lens of, lens of espionage, which is currently fashionable again. And most important, that what we were attempting was not an apologia. It's an attempt at understanding and answering the question posed by my friend Ben Pimlot, who wanted to know why communism, I quote, why communism was regarded by many free, intelligent, well-informed people in the West as the only hope for humanity. In the second session, we had a distinguished panel, including Dennis Healy, who was himself a 30s communist, to help us reflect on the motivation of those who did join. And at this point, if I may, I'll refer you to my handout, which you should have on, on your chairs. We covered a whole range of potential different circumstances and events that might promote people into joining the party. Personal contact, the continuing impact of the Great War, um, the impact of experience abroad. A lot of the people we are talking about have visited Germany during this period and were really struck by that experience. The attractions of the USSR, the campaigning against British imperialism. Remember, the British Empire was at its largest extent ever in the 1930s. That's frequently forgotten now. Reading literature, the excitement of public campaigns and charismatic oratory from people like Harry Pollitt, and above all, the impulse to fight fascism. And here is where Spain moves to the centre of the picture. Because Spain, uh, from 1936 onwards, the resistance of the Republic to the fascists was in some senses the communists' finest hour. Their association with the International Brigade, their work on medical aid for Spain and other campaigns, campaigning against non-intervention, made it credible that the communists must be seen as one of the best hopes, if not the only best hope. But, secondly, we reviewed the alternative options open to people, young people of progressive impulse, the work of the League of Nations Union, the pacifists, uh, Christian activism, very prominent in the 30s, and the activity of other political parties, the Independent Labour Party and the Labour and Liberal Parties. Now, engagement with any of these activities and the Communist Party were not mutually exclusive. And here we come to the Popular Front, which is an especially appealing concept after 1935, when the Comintern ends its class-against-class class policy. But we have to recognise, too, that there is some scepticism in the Labour Party and in the trade union movement, borne out by their previous experiences, against the notion that the Communists could be trusted in a Popular Front. And it must be said that, in fact, there were some grounds for those suspicions. Uh, the local Labour parties, uh, League of Nations union branches, uh, undergraduate societies of all kinds, other youth movements, all to a greater or lesser extent found themselves penetrated by 
eager young communist activists. They were in some ways embodying this ideal image that we're all together against fascism and war and that we're part of a wider international movement dedicated to police and social justice. But to say that requires a degree of naivety about the Soviet Union and its objectives. It, it requires a willingness to overlook evidence to the contrary, the Moscow treason trials, the Ukraine famine, the Gulag, the episodes during the Spanish Civil War, and the obsessional tra traitors, search for traitors, for Trotsky's traitors, which is a, an increasing element in communist propaganda. And I would add to that description of what we covered last time some additional qualifications to ground we didn't fully cover. I think we may have had too narrow an emphasis on the experience of professional middle-class children and the old universities. The experience in grammar schools and the experience in head higher education of the first generation of working-class students seems to me an equally important theme to which we haven't so far given enough emphasis. The influence of individual school teachers on forming a set of radical views, perhaps that needs more emphasis. Experience in other universities, the LSE particularly, what one might legitimately call a hotbed of agitation in the late 1930s, and the Scottish universities too. And also the role of the trades unions and the communist presence there contributing to this tradition of working class self-education. That's the ground we've covered. I'll just leave you, if I may, before I hand on, to, two, to make two other points about the decisions to join the CPGB, the party. One is the importance of the difference between student generations. To join the party early in the 30s, when it was just emerging from being a tiny, militant, Bolshevik organisation, was quite different to joining the party in the late 1930s, not only because the party was different, but because the world's circumstances were different. The descent into what Piers Brendan calls the Dark Valley was well in its way by the mid-30s, and by the end of the 30s, those going into higher education were facing a very uncertain future. But at the same time, and Roderick's already made this point, they were not gloomy people. They were people who enjoyed life again and again from the experiences that have been recounted to me. There is this countercurrent underneath the current of bloom of young people willing, eager to engage and enthusiastic about their role in life. And that's why I've found my acquaintance with them so far particularly stimulating. And now it's for me to pass on to Kevin Morgan, the distinguished historian of communism in Britain, who will tell us about the party's response to their middle-class recruits. Thank you very much. For all information, please go to gresham.ac.uk.